I'm Aiden. And I'm David. And this is I Read the News Today. Oh, boy. <laughs> we are not journalists. Pundits. Or foosball players. At least not professionally. But we do read the news. And we are here to talk about the shit that's going on. Today is March 8th, 2020. And although <laughs> coronavirus is still dominating the news, we are going to try to get back to the 2020 elections. Oh, because that's so much more fun. Uh, a little bit more fun, to be honest. So we're going to be talking about the also-ran candidates, the candidates that also ran. There's a number of them by this point. There are. In fact, we had that episode where we talked about the 20 or more candidates who were in the campaign a year ago. One of the candidates we'll talk about today wasn't even running at that point. I have been really enjoying over the past week like every day going onto Wikipedia's page for the 2020 election and seeing how small the Democratic field has been becoming. Mm. How many candidates are there total now? Total number of candidates running remaining. for president remaining. Remaining. Yeah. The number is five. Well, OK, it's technically hundreds. <laughs> sure. sure. But major candidates running in all or majority of the states, I believe, is down to Tulsi Gabbard still technically in yes yes oh yes she is i worked oh we'll talk about it also we still have joe biden mm -hmm. bernie sanders donald trump and bill weld bill weld very good yeah oh, so we'll talk we'll talk about that too are we not counting rocky de la fuente is he the one with the boot head no, that's Vermin Supreme. Ah. Rocky De La Fuente is another um, perennial candidate. Yeah, I saw him on the ballot in, in Colorado. What's his deal? Quick, let's, what's his deal? We don't know anything about him. Oh, I really, I, I don't know too much about Rocky De La Fuente. Well, that's our coverage of Rocky De La Fuente. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hard-hitting news. I just know, I just know he, run, he runs for president every year. Every year? Yeah. There isn't a presidential election every year. All right, don't do me to me. <laughs> I enjoyed that. For now, we're going to be talking, I'll be talking mainly about Warren, Bloomberg, and Klobuchar, and Buttigieg. That sounds more reasonable. <laughs> who all left the campaign within a two-week period around uh, Super Tuesday. So I'm going to start talking about Warren, and I'm going to talk about why she got into the campaign and why she left. I know, Aiden, that you, when she was running for senator in Massachusetts, uh, were very excited about Elizabeth Warren. I, I was wondering what you saw in her presidential campaign, because you told me at the time that you were jealous that I got to vote for the future president of the United States before you did. Okay. And now I was much younger and more idealistic at the time. Sure. So don't necessarily hold that against me. Um, yes. My kind of history with Elizabeth Warren, and this might be all worthy of cutting, <laughs> goes back to, I think, 2008, when I first saw her on Bill Maher's show. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is the most dull, humorless person I have ever seen in my entire life. Really? And that was when she was working on creating the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which she, which she would later be nominated to head, but her nomination was stalled by the Republicans in the Senate. Mm -hmm. The result of that was that she ran for Senate in uh, Massachusetts and won. Yeah. I saw her in later appearances on the same show, and she seems to have she seemed to have very much worked on becoming less of the most dull, humorless person I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Just look at her and Kate McKinnon's TikTok from the other day. Oh, we're getting really topical now. No, for sure. Super topical. What did you think of her in this campaign? Because I, I do have a an article well titled What Happened to Elizabeth Warren. It proposes five potential reasons for why she did not get the nomination. So gun to my head throughout the campaign so far, I think she's the candidate that for up until the last month or two that I would have voted for if the primary were held that day. I think over the past few months, she's revealed herself to be a very poor campaigner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, she, she focuses on like she, 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 she's a policy wonk. She knows 
her stuff. She releases very detailed plans. That's sort of her thing. And then she also sometimes has dumb ideas. Um, like, I think one of the ideas that she had was um, she pledged to, like, take into consideration the opinion of high school students when mm -hmm. nominating her secretary of education, mm -hmm. which is a stupid idea. And it's a it's a it's a. A really dumb way to try to win votes. I think she's a really wonderful person. I'm frankly fall very much in with, you know, with Aiden's camp. I would have most likely cast my vote for her had I had the ability to. But I think not only is she not necessarily the strongest campaigner, I also think she was really very much kind of caught in between this rock and a hard place since Sanders very much had the progressive wing of the party all mm -hmm. lined up behind him. Yeah. And uh, the moderates were too fractured to really try to get a coalition and not that she was really particularly uh, she was interested in unity, but she wasn't trying to say, hey, I'm the moderate Democrat that everyone's trying to get behind. Oh, yeah. I think honestly, the biggest folly of the Warren campaign is that there was no ranked choice voting. I mean, you really saw it, especially when you look at breakdowns of caucuses where you can kind of see it. She was very many. She was, a, I believe, the majority of people's uh, second choice. Yep. In Iowa, New Hampshire, not that she came in second in those places, but if mm -hmm. they were said, you know, when pollsters would ask the question, please list us your top three candidates. She was pretty consistently in the second one because she is very well spoken and she does and she does have the capacity to put together very comprehensive plans and packages uh, in ways that, you know, it probably could be able to get through even a pretty clogged Senate and legislature. The other thing that we have to mention when we talk about Elizabeth Warren is the fact that she's a woman. And that, unfortunately, as we saw with Hillary in 2016, the kind of bare face of you know sexism that is still very much alive in America that I think a lot of people think that other people think that she's not electable because she's a woman. And that in and of itself is problematic. So let me get to this Atlantic article, What Happened to Elizabeth Warren? Here are five theories by Elaine Godfrey. Elaine Godfrey believes that Warren was not the candidate, was one, she couldn't pick Elaine, a problem symbolized by her positioning on Medicare for all. The other thing was she was hit by the curse of the front runner, that she peaked too early and never recovered, which we've seen in a lot of elections that early front runners don't actually make it to the end. The third was, it was, as you just said, David, uh, electability. Was Warren going to be able to win in a national contest? And a lot of people decided that she wasn't before she even had a chance, partially because she's a woman, partially because she had what this next one says, uh, there was a New York Times Siena College poll that showed President Trump would beat Warren in head to head matchups in several key swing states. And a lot of people started moving away from Warren because of that. I don't know if I buy that one poll that shows that is what was the deciding factor for people. I don't think it helped, but I don't know if that that was. I mean, I, I definitely think that there was a point in the campaign where people started saying Warren isn't electable. Yeah, there 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 definitely was. I think that's just the public perception of a strong intelligent woman who is very much confined to what they're able to do or say, especially in public and on the debate stage, kind of trapped between a rock and a hard place. That's that's fair. I think it's more it's more it's a you know, these these things, the poll, uh, for instance, these are symptoms. These are not causes. Yeah, these are symptoms of of uh, of what's going on. And so the last thing that this article proposes is that it is all sexism. Personally, I think that it's, it's a combination of all of these things. It's certainly not all sexism. It, yeah. She did not have the most effective campaign structure. No. As great as she was on the debate stage, Aiden, you're right. Like you said earlier, there she had a number of moments where she offered things that sort of would make you turn your head and say, why are we doing that? Why do we need to spend time doing that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that when it comes down to it, I think that more than anything, the people who she was trying to get mainly knew who they were voting for already. And that was Bernie Sanders, because this person has momentum from the last election. They are ideologically very similar. A person who was a supporter of Bernie Sanders in 2016, the likelihood of them moving to Warren at the end of the day was not big. 
moderates going to Warren was not likely based on how closely she had aligned herself with Bernie. So I, I, I just don't know who she thought that she was going to end up getting. Yeah. But I, I think that why she left the race going through Super Tuesday, getting no wins and coming in third in your home state, I don't think that she had a choice after that. No, definitely. It's the writing's on the wall. I think that we can now move to Mike Bloomberg. Yeah. Keep it going. Yep. So Mike Bloomberg came into the election only three and a half months ago. Do either of you know what the number is for how much she spent on ads in that time? In the time between him beginning uh, his presidential campaign and when he dropped out? Yes. Uh, I believe the number is 500 million. Yes, it's, it's 500. It's about well, I mean, not just not just average. I mean, that's his whole campaign budget and structure and the whole oh, thing. No. Oh, no. No, it's not. Really? Oh, $550 million is what he spent on advertising alone. So... Do either of you know the net worth of Mike Bloomberg? Uh, I saw a YouTube video where they use rice to demonstrate relative wealth. And I believe (laughs) I saw that, too. I believe the answer is 52 pounds of rice. (laughs) I did not see this video, but it sounds great. I believe I believe the one single grain of rice was either $10,000 or $100,000, which I realize makes the outcome very different. Yeah. Yeah, it does. He does Um, have a time-lapse video in that of him spending hours over the course of one evening counting out hundreds of grains of rice. Why does he count? Just measure, measure the weight. Do it by weight. And I think at one point you can see it's very quick in the video, but he does like put his head in his hands as he's just so miserable. Yeah, that tracks. That tracks. That tracks very well. I'm horrified. So do you have a number for what? Do you you have the number in your head here? Mike Bloomberg is actually currently listed by Forbes as the eighth richest person in America with 53.4 billion. It, It is enormous. The amount of money that he spent all out of his own pocket I mean, I know a few. Uh, I know some people who made smaller dollar donations to his campaign. Yeah, yeah. I bet if you want to donate to Mike Bloomberg, he's not going to turn down <laughs> your money. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. If you're I at mean, all familiar yeah. with capitalism, I will say there was a really wonderful article in the New York Times, which I shared with you guys the other day, about the Venmo economy when a campaign shuts down and how staffers on campaigns that are still running will sort of send. to staffers on the other campaign saying, hey, you know, thanks for a good race. Go get a drink on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 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 some classy stuff. Uh, They had numbers for a number of the different campaigns of how much money total staffers sent to each other. And the number for Bloomberg was I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, (laughs) considerably lower. Yeah. Money was sent to those guys. That that does make a lot of sense. But I think we're already basically talking about why Bloomberg was in the race and why he was succeeding in the race, which is, you know, this amazing largesse, right? Exactly. And so the reason why he wanted to get in the race was because he had a lot of opposition to Bernie Sanders and to Elizabeth Warren. And at the time that he joined the race, they were both very high in the polls. Um, They were both doing very well. And most of the moderates had been going down and down and down. And he wanted to see a moderate Democrat in the White House. He did not want Donald Trump to remain there, but he didn't want to go the more socialist route. A lot of his money has come from his news media corporation, Bloomberg Media. Mm -hmm. Yes, Bloomberg something. But he also has investments and all kinds of things um, as most billionaires do. It's literally just called Bloomberg Incorporated. That's the it's it's just Bloomberg. Yeah. All right. And so he came in because he thought that Joe Biden didn't have a chance to win and didn't want to see Bernie Sanders win. Uh, And so the reason why he's leaving is for similar reasons. He didn't do very well at all for his five hundred and fifty million dollars. Well, he also the the, and the the thing that. I actually keep talking because you might say this. This is your section. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. Well, Please. he didn't. He didn't run in the early primaries. He didn't run in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. He mm-hmm. 
placed a big bet on doing well on Super Tuesday and that carrying him. And then he didn't win a state in Super Tuesday. Uh, He won a territory. He did. Cool. American Samoa giving him four delegates. Yeah. uh, Yep. I said state. (laughs) (laughs) It it was factual. But uh, anyway, I think that the way we can wrap this up is by saying he left the campaign because Joe Biden was doing well and he was not. Um, Mm -hmm. And and really having a moderate in the White House was his only goal. And he's now building a super PAC to help whoever becomes the candidate, but he's really hoping that it is not Bernie Sanders. Now, I certainly don't know the answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Aiden, perhaps you do. What happens to what happens to the money of a candidate when they drop out of a race? Um, really hoping you weren't going to ask that because there's there's an article. <laughs> there's an article I kept not reading this week that would have answered that. <laughs> we'll All save right. that for another time then. Yeah. We'll save that for another time, but yeah, no, that is a good question. Um, let's go on. I'm, I'm going to just talk very briefly about Klobuchar and Buttigieg as individuals and then talk about them leaving because, together because I think that it is somewhat connected. I said in our, our first review of all the candidates, Hayden, that I thought that Klobuchar was running for vice president. And I'm I didn't think very upset that you're like – that you're right. <laughs> uh, so – Klobuchar came in. She had a very small. She had her announcement in a snowstorm with almost no one there. Uh, she had, you know, she was in all these debates. To me, she was always very congenial to all of the candidates, rather than actually trying to put her own stance out there. Well, not all the candidates. Not well. Over time, she did. She did have have favoritism. Uh, and oh, and and, and, and disfavoritism. I'm specifically talking about the relationship between her and Pete Buttigieg. Exactly. So she she did have a a lot of confrontation with Buttigieg, and I actually have an article in here about that. Mainly, it, I mean, it was mainly because they they did represent the same thing: a midwestern moderate Democrat. Yeah, and that was her rise. Pete Buttigieg came out of nowhere. He was a mayor from a small city in Indiana. Or a decently sized city in Indiana. Even the largest city in Indiana <laughs> is a small city by yes. reasonable standards. Yeah. He went from an unheard of on the national stage to being very briefly a front runner. From what I've seen, they still haven't the AP still hasn't officially announced the Iowa caucus as having a winner, but by delegates Pete Buttigieg is is the winner of the Iowa caucus. Continuing a proud tradition of the winner of the Iowa caucus not being the nominee. Exactly. Mm. Really? It, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's relatively I think it's more than 50% of the time. Then after three more primaries he left. As with Bloomberg, I think a lot of, I think they both sort of saw the writing on the wall and yeah. they weren't performing like they thought they needed to perform. And I think they are also scared of a potential uh, of putting Sanders on the ticket. And that is enough to I think that's enough for people to drop out. I agree, but I do think there was significant pressure from the Democratic Party for them to leave. I do not think that they made that choice in a vacuum. I can't imagine that that they would decide to leave before Super Tuesday without anyone saying that there was a likelihood that they would get some kind of a position. It's it's highly speculative. I think, I think it's more interesting to say, well, hey, maybe the DNC is looking at, you know, 2016 in the Republican primary and them having so many people and saying, hey, if you don't want the, if you don't want to like split the vote of the part of the party of the of the moderate part of the party, you need to go. I don't think you need to dangle a position in front of people to say, uh, you know, in front of two young, relatively speaking, politicians who have several more campaigns ahead of them. Sure. You know, the DNC is surely talking to these guys and talking about, yeah. hey, this is probably what's best for the party. But. I would I would not think that they're dangling positions in front of them. And I would think more it's a, hey, for the health and safety of the moderate wing of the Democratic Party, 
you know, it's clear who vote, you know, they they believe it's clear who voters are supporting and they need them to get out. And it seems to have paid off. It definitely well, did. If your uh, if your goal is to get Joe Biden elected, it, it, I think it really paid off. Joe Biden had a surprisingly good Super Tuesday. As you said, I, I do think there was definitely discussion within the party about about what the chances were for a moderate to win. And I think that there was a lot of people who and I it's very possible that a lot of their funding was going to be moving. A lot of their people who were funding them didn't see a chance for them to win and mm-hmm. we're going to be moving their funding to Joe Biden. And, you know, a combination of these things could have been been the factors. But it, it there's no way that they would have left at the time that they did without some amount of discussion among the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and I, th- and I think that is totally fair. But if we want to get into the real conspiracy theory, I have a tweet from none other than Donald Trump, which summarizes his thoughts of what has happened in the past couple of weeks. We have now learned for sure that the Democrats don't want anything to do with crazy Bernie. Raked question mark. First, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg quit the race and come out for Sleepy Joe before Super Tuesday. Pocahontas says no and quits race after election, thereby depriving Bernie of at least five states and the nomination. Did the DNC and Dems tell Elizabeth Warren to wait? If so, they were deadly. The race would have been over and Bernie would have won. Dirty double dealing. Nobody knows for sure. And history will be the judge. But I say, here we go again, Bernie. Let's move on to Aiden talking a bit about comparisons with previous primaries. Yeah, so I did a, I did a little bit of a look at the candidates that remained in the race up until the primaries and tried to draw compare try, try to draw a comparison for each one with a uh, candidate from a previous election. Mm-hmm. So starting with Elizabeth Warren, I actually I, I found two that worked pretty well for Elizabeth Warren. So Bill Bradley in 2000, Bill Bradley was the was at that. Well, he still is the former uh, senator from New Jersey. He's also, I believe, the only person in history to be both a member of the United States Senate and the National Basketball Hall of Fame. Can you let's let's uh, let's unpack that for a hot second. Let's talk about that. He's what does that mean? Uh, what do you think it means? He played basketball for some significant portion of his life. You got it in one, buddy. Okay. <laughs> well, I thought fine. I thought there might be something more, but very well then. He's uh, yeah. He before his career as a senator, he was a basketball player for the New York Knicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and he represented. He was for. Um, a good chunk of your life, your senator, David. I feel like that's a little before my waking time. Okay, up until ninety-seven, he was a senator from New Jersey. Yeah, when I was five. So for five years of your life, not an insignificant chunk of your life at this point, he was your senator. I would say it's the most insignificant five years of his life, though. I would argue he learned to talk. <laughs> During that time, uh huh, he learned to walk. I did draw a picture of President Bill Clinton and my family in a submarine. Very nice. That so I impressive. guess suppose I was uh, uh, somewhat politically aware. I was politically aware uh, at some point between the ages of three and four. Go on, Aiden. okay. So, um, uh, Brett. So in two thousand, Al Gore being the um, sitting vice president was considered the favorite for the Democratic Party to win the nomination. Uh, Bill Bradley campaigned as the progressive alternative. He ran on universal health care, gun control and campaign finance reform. Do any of those things sound familiar with regards to Elizabeth Warren? Oh, they certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he his campaign did have strong prospects. He emerged as a leading fundraiser and gained several high profile endorsements. But it stalled once the primaries began. He dropped out of the race after finishing a distant second on Super Tuesday. Very similar to Elizabeth Warren. Yep. Uh, The second comparison with Elizabeth Warren I found was Howard Dean in 2004. Mm -hmm. So Howard Dean at the time was the governor of Vermont. Again, like Bradley, led the Democratic field in fundraising. He emphasized small donations collected over the Internet. He led in the polls for much of the campaign. And then just before the primaries began, 
Um, a late surge by Johns Carey and Edwards led to a third place finish in the Iowa caucus. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. One of the biggest gaffes in American political history occurred during his concession speech uh, with <laughs> the Dean scream. Are you guys familiar mm. with the Dean scream? Oh, I'm very familiar with the Dean scream. I am not. You're not familiar with the Dean scream, Lowell? I'm not. No. Can you reenact it for us? So in his speech after the Iowa caucus, he basically looking forward and I have the quote here. He said, not only are we going to win New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. And we're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. And then he let out a scream, <laughs> something to the effect of. Yeah! <laughs> I would call it more of a whoop, but um, I think that's just sort of mincing words at this point. Yes. Yeah. So that was widely ridiculed and is seen as a key factor in ending his campaign. Mm hmm. OK. So those are two candidates that ran to the left of the nominee that would ultimately um, gain the nomination. And there is a tradition in the Democratic Party of a left-leaning candidate who kind of starts strong but fades. Uh, and then moving on to another candidate, Michael Bloomberg. There's not a there's not a perfect comparison with Bloomberg because like the as I see it the the reason that Bloomberg ran was he really did want to prevent a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren from getting the nomination. And I couldn't really find another example of a prominent business person running to save the party or the country from certain defeat from a socialist. But there is a prominent businessman who ran for president, that being Steve Forbes in 1996 in the Republican primaries. Mm -hmm. He did not come close to winning the Republican nomination. He did win the Arizona and Delaware primaries. And then this is another thing that I think is very similar with the Bloomberg campaign, mm -hmm. his awkward campaign style was considered a major factor in his defeat. Time magazine called his stumping, quote, a comedy club impression of what would happen if some mad scientist decided to construct a <laughs> dork robot. <laughs> Um, he raised a total of $86 million, $37 million of which he donated to his own campaign, uh, similar mm -hmm. to Mike Bloomberg. And again, those are $1996, so that's much more money. Uh, than it appears. Mm -hmm. The next candidate I looked at was Amy Klobuchar. And this is where I will reluctantly give it to you again, Lowell. You did say at, after the first debate, she is running for vice president. And the best comparison I could find for her was John Edwards in 2004. The exact person who I was thinking of. The exact <laughs> person. Yeah. Who ultimately was the vice presidential nominee. Um, he struggled to gain early support, but rose in the polls in the weeks prior to the Iowa caucus, very similar to Amy Klobuchar. He managed a second place finish um, in the Iowa caucuses. And then on Super Tuesday, he lost nine of the 10 primaries to the eventual nominee, John Kerry. Uh, he suspended mm -hmm. his campaign on March 2nd, 2004. Amy Klobuchar suspended her campaign on March 2nd, 2020. Uh and I, I think that it is very possible that she will be vice, the vice presidential candidate with Joe Biden if Joe Biden gets the nomination. I think it's definitely possible. Yeah. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg, I listed as no data for a comparison um, because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't find there, there's there's very few instances of a mayor running for president and comparing him to Rudy Giuliani just doesn't seem right. Yeah. So I, I did find Larry Agran, the former mayor of Irvine, California, ran for the Democratic nomination in 1992. But it's not a good comparison at all. He was a former mayor. Um, his campaign didn't take off in any appreciable way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then I returned to an article that we referenced last year where uh, from 538, uh, where f the where 538 tried to determine what position is the best one to run for president from using historical data. Yeah. Mayor, there's just there's just nothing there. There's no data there. And then the final one, and this is the kind of wild card, Michael Bennett, who did remain in the race up until the point <laughs> that the primary contest began. Uh, he has since dropped out. And has he endorsed anybody? I don't think he has. Not that I know of. Yeah, I haven't been paying attention to him. 
He's your senator, Lowell. I'm aware. <laughs> um, and there is a long and proud tradition of senators that have no business being president, running for the, re- the Democratic nomination and going absolutely nowhere. Uh, there's Joe yeah. Lieberman in 2004, Chris Dodd of Connecticut. Well, Joe Lieberman of Connecticut in 2004, Chris Dodd of Connecticut in 2008, Jim Webb of Virginia in 2016. Uh, none, of whom, full set. none of whom... Uh, came anywhere near the nomination. Got to collect them all. Yeah. <laughs> so that is all that I have. All right. Well, we can't end a conversation. We can't end a conversation uh, talking about all surrounds without talking about the future also rands of this race. <laughs> it seems silly to me to really kind of talk about Biden or Bernie at this point. But there is a third person still kind of clinging on to the Democratic Party nomination. Uh, and that's Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. Uh, Still kind of hanging in there, representative from Hawaii. And frankly, also worth talking about, Donald Trump's certainly, at least by my standards, oft forgotten primary calendar, uh, one Bill Weld. Mm. So we can just kind of get into them real quick. Uh, I mean, Tulsi Gabbard got into the race earlier this year, last year. Yeah, she was. I think she was one of the early ones. She was. She was. And so she's. However, she has pretty much been stuck at only, uh, you know, single digit percentage points in the polls. She does have two delegates. Uh, She came in second in American Samoa. (laughs) Uh, And that's actually sort of been a bit of an interesting thing in the news. Certainly this week, uh, she's been very vocal about the fact that by previous DNC rules, she should, since she has delegates, be invited to the upcoming debate that's coming up on the 15th. But the DNC recently changed the rules and she is not. The new rules say that uh, it's not enough to have delegates. You need to now have at least 20 percent of all delegates currently awarded. Yeah, that had already been awarded. Um, And so she's uh, going deep and going on to Fox News, which has been a very common place for her to be hanging out these days to try to get herself back up and onto the debate stage and into the news. And I think, frankly, if you're looking for another uh, person who's running for VP real hard, I think you got another one right here. Oh, she she has zero chance of being the VP nominee. Yeah, I but uh, you're you're right. But she's still trying to uh, uh, I think she has zero chance, but I think she's trying for it real bad. She's saying that she wants to stick uh, stick in the race until uh, until the convention. And she says she wants to do it because she wants to talk about the what has been driving her campaign and her as a politician for years. She's a huge foreign policy wonk. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's really trying to take Joe Biden to task on having more decisive foreign policy mm-hmm. and trying to get us out of all these conflicts that we are currently in. Yeah. But I'm really curious about her fundraising. How can she still maintain the money to keep running in all these races? She is kind of kind of famously she's flying economy class. She's staying in Airbnbs. <laughs> uh, it's sort of interesting to kind of look at her from the, the, the cut rate campaign. Well, there, So there is a conspiracy theory about her that it's Russia <laughs> that is funding her campaign. Yeah. OK, it's possible. That's been it. I that, think we've done enough conspiracy yeah, theories for today. OK, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, that's been advanced by Hillary Clinton, among other people. So really? Yes. Damn, that's crazy. I hadn't heard about that. Well, then let's talk about Bill Weld here for a quick second oh, then as well. This poor son of a bitch. Oh, Bill <laughs> Weld trying so hard. Currently has no awarded delegates. Uh, his best states so far have been actually Vermont and Massachusetts, where he got 10 and 9 percent respectively. That's actually pretty good, though. I'm impressed that he got even that. A lot of the other Republican primaries have been canceled. Yes, they mm-hmm. have. And that makes sense, though, much like Tulsi, though, perhaps, though, for a very different reason, is uh, saying that he's going to stick in all the way through to the convention as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, his uh, and he has been very open. And in fact, it is his words when he uh, when when he says he wants to kneecap the Trump campaign, if not outright beat them. I mean, I don't know how effective that can be to be a primary president. Nobody's really. Caring about that, but uh, God love him. Go for it. I think so. um, We we talked about Bill Weld before and a in the modern primary era, the incumbent president has never been defeated for the nomination by a member of his own party. Mm -hmm. But in every election where the incumbent president has lost, 
they've faced a strong primary challenger from their own party. And the question is, are we at a point where we can say Bill Weld is a strong primary primary challenger? Well, that's what I would say is I think the Republican National Committee knows the statistics and knows that incumbent presidents lose when they face a strong primary challenger. So they have done everything they can to ensure that um, he's not going to be a strong primary challenger Mm -hmm. in canceling the primaries. Right. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Especially with the primary canceled, they too will very soon uh, join the long and storied ranks of also rounds. Yes. Yeah. So those are the people who have run for president, uh, at least since the primary started. There are plenty more who dropped out well before they started or just before they started. I think that we can take a break for now and we'll be right back with some weird news and some of our older news. All right. Hi, Lowell here. You know, from the show that you've been listening to. Uh, Well, thank you so much for listening to I Read the News Today, oh boy. We really appreciate your listening and we hope that you are enjoying this episode. If you are enjoying this episode, and if you're not, please subscribe and rate on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play. And also, we would love it if you would write a review. You can also contact us on Twitter with the at news boy or hashtag news boy tags. You can also send us weird articles that you want us to use in the show with the news boy at gmail.com or on Twitter. And we will mention you in this section of the show if you correspond with us because we're thirsty, very, very thirsty for those correspondence. Anyway, have a great rest of the episode and uh, enjoy the weird world we're now living in with the coronavirus. Stay safe. And we're back with some weird news. So, guys... Would you guys like to uh, open up? Actually, fuck. We're not going to do a weird news next. Let, do you want to do the Wikipedia next? I don't know what order you want to go in. Do you want to clap again? No, we don't need to clap again. Let's do the Wikipedia next. All right. Sounds good. New, old, weird. I think that's good. Right? Yeah. All right. That's, um, that, okay. ma- that makes sense. Cool. All right. I've, I've selected a juicy one this time. Um, I would like... Both of your opinions based on the name of the uh, article, what you think this is. Well, I'm looking at an article that you've sent me that is called The Republic of Malasia. Uh, I'm going to assume this is a short lived country or perhaps a country a la Sealand, which is. Uh, I think this is a country that is the entire landmass is just an oil rig. And so I, I do really like the color scheme of what I believe is the flag that it's showing in the preview, which is just blue, white and green. It's it's very lovely. There's also a red horse on the coat of arms, on ah, the coat of arms, on the coat of arms. So, David, you you hit it right out of the park with nation a la Sealand. The Republic of Malasia is a micronation. The, the definition, according to Wikipedia, if you don't mind me reading it. A micronation is a political entity whose members claim that they belong to an independent nation or sovereign state lacking legal recognition by world governments or major international organizations. Most are geographically very small. Often uh, they're run by, for lack of a better word, one or more kooks. (laughs) That's fair. Who's the kook in this case? The kook in this case is Kevin Bao. Bao, B-A-U-G-H. So the Republic of Malosia is a micronation bordering the United States founded by Kevin Bow and headquartered at his home near Dayton, Nevada. Sorry, by bordering, I believe based on this this map, you mean on all sides. Oh, yeah, I would ensconced by Nevada would be it equally as accurate. So, yeah, there is a map of the territory, and I will note that it is the only perfectly rectangular country that I can think of. I live in a pretty rectangular state now. Yeah, well. One of the most rectangular. 
one of the most. So what else do we have to know about Mr. About about um, uh, is it president? Yes. President Bao. He makes himself a country and he's not the king. No, because it's a democracy. Organizational structure does list de facto dictatorship, although there is a citation needed. <laughs> OK, so we are we are in a second going to go on to the website for the Republic of Melosia. Um, oh, yeah. But let's let's get a little bit more into the details. So Kevin Bow continues to pay property tax on the land to Story County, Nevada, the recognized local government, although he cl- calls it, quote, foreign aid. <laughs> That's good. That's real good. So unlike most micronations that I've come across, Kevin Bow seems to basically all but say that this is a joke. Oh, good. I see. So on November 13th, he created a petition on WhiteHouse.gov to obtain official recognition mm-hmm. of the micronation. He declared at his last at the last census that Melosia had 27 inhabitants and four dogs. <laughs> that's a fair number of that. That's a lot of people considering the size. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's scroll down to the economy section because this is where it starts to get pretty good. Oh, good. OK, so Melosia's currency is the Valora, which is subdivided into 100 f- uh, Futros. Please pronounce that word for me again. Futros. I think it's Futros. Futterus. It's I, I thought Futterus. For those of you playing along at home, it's spelled F-U-T-T-R-U-S. Yes. I just and? I just needed clarification because we're going to talk about it a fair amount once you get to this. The fit once you get to the the conclusion of this sentence here. Oh, OK, so the um, currency is pegged to the relative value of Pillsbury cookie dough, which honestly is worth its weight in gold to me. So do, do you do you get it? I'm not I don't I'm not sure I do. Is it, it? Cookie dough. is it is cookies it's their money is tied to the value of dough uh, oh, i do get it that's actually fairly oh. clever uh, uh please continue actually Damn. actually please continue down this section there's a really another lovely little bit of information coming right here cookie dough is stored in an outbuilding called the bank of melosia from which valora coins are made from gambling chips and printed bank banknotes are sold cool is it like, you know, there is that laboratory in, in France that has that weight that all grams are based on. You're familiar with yep. this? Yeah, I am. Does mm-hmm. Bao in his great central bank of Malasia have like, you know, this er cookie dough <laughs> that the value of all cookie dough is based from? I, I, I that's the naturalist. I, well, I, I think the Bank of Melosia is a sort of Fort Knox of the mm-hmm. Republic of Melosia. Mm-hmm. So do you think he, do you think he's bankrolling cookie dough or do you think it's just based on the value of it? I think that it's based on the American value of cookie mm. dough. <laughs> I, I bet it's based on the local supermarket. How many cookies have you gotten out of a tube of cookie dough? Because I feel like he's trying to say you can get 100 cookies out of that tube. And I'm saying if you get more than one cookie, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> oh, OK, you're supposed to spread it out into one big cookie. I don't know what the big deal is. People don't seem to uh, understand. I mean, that sounds good, but it honestly sounds very hard to get the proper, you know, cooked through. You, yeah, that's the problem with a big cookie is it's really hard to cook a big cookie. Yeah, through. it just won't be even. You know, I, I was a big roly poly butterball as a kid and thought <laughs> I can make this big cookie and it will be delicious and chewy. Were you all the about way to say nutritious if I cook it? <laughs> no, because it sounded like you were. <laughs> no, he wasn't going to make that mistake. <laughs> no, I, I want to be very clear. When I said roly poly butterball, <laughs> nutrition was not in the one of the concerns of the food that I was putting in my body as okay, a child. But we have more to talk about here because the next. Yeah, why don't you why, why, don't, you, why don't you bring us through its military? Topic. Yeah, why don't you bring us through their military actions here, Aiden? Yeah, what? what Ongoing hostilities yes, with yes. East Germany. I, I really need to know more about their <laughs> the foreign Repu- affairs. Oh, so we're let, let's cover the ongoing hostility with East Germany, and then we can go um, a little bit into the website for the Republic of Melosia. So the Republic of Melosia claims to be at war with East Germany, alleging they are responsible for military drills performed by Kevin Bau while stationed with the United States military in West Germany, and therefore are responsible for the resulting lack of sleep. 
While East Germany formally ceased to exist in 1990 following the Treaty on the Final Settlement with respect to Germany, Melosia argues that Ernst Thalmann Ernst Thalmann Island, dedicated to by Cuba to Weimar German politi- politician Ernst Thalmann and gifted to East Germany and lack of mention in the treaty on the final settlement or by the nation of Cuba is still East German land, allowing the war to continue. And what that's kind of what I like about the Republic of Melosia compared to other micronations that I've looked at is the the logical pretzels that Kevin Bao twists himself into in order to justify every single one of his actions. Go on. Yeah, no, this is this is definitely a, uh, I had to read that sentence back to to at all understand what it was saying. And I'm still not sure I, I get it. So basically, he's claiming they can still be at war with East Germany, despite the fact that East Germany doesn't exist because because there is one piece of land that is still technically technically is still part of East Germany. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's madness. In the, like the loosest sense possible. So to kind of go a little bit deeper into this, I'd like you to look at the national anthem towards the top of the page in that little gray box. Fair Melosia is our home. And if you could just Google that real quick, that would be <laughs> ideal. Okay. Oh, am I going to have to watch this YouTube video? No, um, I'd like you to go to probably the link right below that. Our new national anthem, Republic of Melosia. Is that dated January 28th, 2014? That it is on org. Fantastic. And if you could read from the statement from P- President Bao. All right. The Republic of Melosia is pleased to announce the advent of our new national anthem. Fair Melosia is our home. For the past 15 years, our anthem has been Melosia, Nation in the Desert, with music composed by Cyprian Porumbescu and lyrics written by His Excellency President Kevin Bao. While a stirring piece of music, it is better known as the national anthem of Albania. And over the years, there have been significant complaints from Albanian citizens over our borrowing of their anthem. So what seems to have happened is prior to January 28th, 2014, Kevin Bao set the Albanian national anthem to his own lyrics. (laughs) Yes. That's a very interesting question. Is it? I mean, it can't possibly be copywritten, can it? Yes. The the national anthem of Albania? It entirely can. What do you, wait? What are you what are you asking if it can be copyrighted? Well, what I mean to say is it's not illegal, is it? Uh, it depends on how you're using it. Is we it? could go, we could spend a lot lot of time on copyright law, but that sounds dry to me. I want to know. I want to know if I can compose the uh, David Brummer national anthem to the pledge of, to the pledge of allegiance. I mean, you can if it's for satire. Probably it's. Oh, it's in- it's intensely serious. I, I don't. It, this is a much longer conversation that none of us are going to be able to answer appropriately. <laughs> so I'm going to move on. So. If you could Google Republic of Melosia real quick, that would be great. Google. okay. there's just a couple juicy nugs on uh, the website that I really like. And then just go to the website, Melosia.org. Could have just done that. The the one that appears that it was made in 1993. Oh, yes, I'm there. Um, Can you go to about Melosia and then His Excellency the President? Yes, but I do want to miss that we did happen. We happened to miss uh, a very special holiday just after day of the dude the day of the dude oh yeah that was march 7th I didn't get, yeah i didn't get that one i don't know what it is but it did just happen well i, I in browsing the list of melosian holidays <laughs> i do know it has something to do with um that coen brothers movie i thought it might have something to do with that coen brothers movie i they're all the same so <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not particularly important which one okay well, I do find myself on yeah, his I'm there now on his excellency, the president's page. And man, oh, man, is there some fascinating stuff what here? Do you, what do you see specifically that he hung out with James Duhon? Who? Yes, primarily. Who's James Duhon? Scotty from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. No, now I see him. Who's now I see James him. Duhon? Now I see him. I know his face. I don't know his name. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. 
I love this picture of Jack Black shaking his hand from across the border. And that was the the Jack Black picture is what I want, what I liked. But see, I kind of get James Duhon and Jack Black. I'm really more much more curious about this next picture of him with Kelly Clarkson. I'm sure that that was taken some at some random like book signing or something. He is in front of a step and repeat. Not sure how she got got into Melosia. It, it doesn't look like she's in Melosia. This looks like it's on a red carpet or something. Not not a red um, carpet. No, no, no. It says Kelly. It's at a Kelly Clarkson concert. You can see her lo- a logo behind her. But where was it? And was it in Melosia? <laughs> we can't deny that that's a I possibility. I can't deny that that's a possibility. Now, I've dropped an, another link to... Uh, page on the website for Melosia into the show notes. Okay. If you could go to general government information. Anything in specific in particular you want us to point out? Yeah, the bit at the bottom. At the very bottom. Oh my god. <laughs> huh. Yikes. <laughs> Interesting. Well, what I'm <laughs> seeing here appears to be a series <laughs> of pictures <laughs> of the uh, very of the of uh, the president's Many ministers who all look very similar, who appear to be all look awfully similar to the president, just in various uh, degrees of potentially racist um, costumes. Potentially, well, uh, potentially uh, deeply culturally appropriate, if not, in fact, yes. racist fair, uh, fair. costumes. Very, very true. I, I, I like that there is a minister of making things orderly and a minister of making things disorderly. <laughs> I like that too. Should we read into the fact that the minister of making things orderly is very clearly coded as German and the minister of making things disorderly <laughs> is, is very clearly coded as quite well, Irish? I think that's the at best culturally appropriative and at worst viciously racist. And um, and where do we stand on the minister of sand, rocks and dust storms being quite clearly an Arabic stereotype? Racist or not? I think that's that's pretty st- that's pretty solidly racist. Yeah, I think that that one's pretty solidly racist. So also on this website, there's a link to the Melosia Railroad, which is just a model rail uh, model uh, train set. This is actually a very well organized website. If if it does look a little bit old school, it mm. is. There's a ton of there's like, a lot of tabs. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into here. Um, more than we could cover in this section, but. There's a lot to dig into, uh, but the thing that you cannot dig into is the shop, which is unfortunately down, which, let me tell you, is quite disappointing. What do you mean it's down? Oh, you know what it is? Well, I can get an autographed photo of His Excellency, the President and the First Lady here for five dollars within the U.S. Well, no, you know what it is? Some of the OK, this. Oh, some of the links work and some do of the links do not. you know what is really not. surprising? It's five dollars within the U.S. and seven dollars outside the U.S. Therefore, it's more expensive to get it in Melosia than it is to get it here. Well, it may well be free in Melosia. He might just sign those. Maybe, maybe. And then I guess kind of to round this section out, um, if we if you hover over special links and one of you read me the uh, second to last link there. All right. How to start your own micronation. Interesting. Wow. Oh, this is uh, actually a fair amount of information here. This actually is. Borrowed from the kingdom of Tolosa, micronations, microstates, imaginary countries, counter countries, unrecognized nations, or ephemeral states are all terms for countries which have been declared independent by usually eccentric individuals or small groups. I'm glad that they know. Yeah, it's the whole <laughs> thing is very tongue in cheek in a way that I find quite delightful. Yeah. So here's the question. Are we starting our own nation? And what's that it called? Could be a, that could be a fun project. Yeah. W- what are we going to call it? Well, I'm, I am I think that's something that we can be... Well, I was going to say we could leave it to the internet, but that's how we end up in a nation called Nation McNation yeah. Face. And I don't think that that's where exactly we want to be. We'll take this to the... We'll this, let, let this be a long simmering uh-huh, idea. Uh-huh. We, can, we, can, uh, we can put a Twitter poll up if we can figure out how. Oh, oh, we will. Yeah, that's it. We'll, we'll put we'll up come a Twitter up with poll. three names and put up a Twitter poll. 
and we'll see if anyone votes. All right, let's do those names right now. Aiden, first sound in your head. Ba, okay. Ba's strong. Ba's, Ba's, Ba could be, Ba could be it. I was thinking something like we take the first, like the way that my dad made his email address where he took the first three letters of my sister's name and the last three letters of my name. So we could take the first uh, three letters of each of our names. Dav. A low dav. A low dav. That sounds country. Uh, I was thinking maybe Newsopia. Oh, that's cute. fun because it ha- kind of okay. has the play like opium, and then like that could be our main export. <laughs> that could be good. Now we have an economy or, uh, going. I rather or, lo- or Tintob. Or Tintob. Is that it backwards? Oh, tin. No, that's I read the no, news today. No, I think today, that's oh the the abbreviation. <laughs> yeah. Oh. How about America Two? <laughs> America Two Electric Boogaloo. America America seems not to be in the best place right now. Maybe we just need a fresh start. American, not American, not. No, no. Well, no. You're, 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 you're. you're. <laughs> well, between those three, <laughs> have we have we killed enough time on Internet, this? Internet, you tell us. I, I think we have. I think we've killed way, way too much time. In fact, um, and I think that it's time to go to a bit of weird news. If you guys are ready. Oh, let's bring it on. It. Who's going to read that that uh, headline for for me? Ancient sword of the meth king seized in police traffic stop in a drug bust. The police of Bath Township in Michigan seized a large, rather jagged sword, which they have now come to call. The ancient sword of the meth king, as you can see, it is quite an ornate sword up at the top. Can anyone describe it for me? It, uh, it, it, it doesn't sort of looks fit like with the the other weapons in that arsenal in that picture. Oh no, it doesn't. Well, it's very, it's very, it's it's it is clearly a sword that is very heavily. It has a huge anime influence. It's so, quite clear. It's got. Oh, so is do it, you have any idea of what anime it actually is a replica from? Is this of? is this Death Note? It's not. My first thought was Final Fantasy, but I don't think it's quite that. My next thought is potentially Bleach. Oh, wow. Which is the only other one I know, which is about fancy swords. Yeah, no, it is. It is from Bleach. Oh, Uh, so good. I I just named the first anime that came to my head, which was Death Note. Good job. I wasn't sure if that was called Death Note or Death Letter. It's not even the main guy's sword. It's the other guy. No, it's like it's it's like a early round villain who becomes becomes one of the heroes. Right. So real quick, are we talking about a video game or a TV show? TV show. Okay. which was turned into several video games. I I mean, yes, but it's a a TV show that ran like, well, well, 600 episodes. uh, it was it wasn't it was a manga first. OK, fair, fair. It was a manga first and then it was a TV well, it show. Was an, well, well, it, it was an idea first and then it was a manga. Well, first it was drawing. This has been the manga minute. <laughs> so as we did before, have have we exhausted the, the amount of time we can use on this thought? This is this has been your semiotics of artistic creation. minute. <laughs> um. Anyway, it was found in a massive treasure, treasure trove, treasure trove, not treasure. The police say it was in a massive trove of firearms, bullets, blades, and was seized alongside a large amount of methamphetamine on January 27th. And so they the police described it at the cash as Lord of the Rings meets John Wick in a Facebook post, which also why? Why are the police now using Facebook? I'm, I'm just going to complain about that for half a second. Like, what are they doing with it? Why do they need it? Why are they posting things on Facebook? Anyway. Well, have, have you not seen an article that's like uh, a criminal posts on taunts the cops over Facebook gets arrested seconds later? <laughs> that's pretty good. But why, kinda, yeah. why are the police doing it the other way around? What? What? It doesn't that's, matter. That's what, that's what you do on. That's what that's what that's what you do on Facebook. So you want so wait, so you want the police to do you want them to not be on Facebook or do you want them to have a Facebook and not use it? 
And I don't know I don't, what, what's worse. I don't know that the police department should be like, hey, we just arrested these guys. Here's the stuff we found. I'm really glad that <laughs> you Facebook. said police department that time because the, the conversation had gotten so oh. off the rails that I wasn't sure if you were talking about law enforcement officers or an 80s British rock band. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, this is this is, in fact, a replica of a sword that apparently was bought off of uh, the, the the character. I don't even know what the name name of the character is. It doesn't really matter. It does not <laughs> matter. <laughs> but it it is. It is. Uh, sorry, one sec. Welcome to Waiting for Lowell, no. your podcast with Dana. Oh, no, please continue. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it's it is a a rather imposing sword. But I guess the the other thing that the the Internet is is asking a lot of questions about is from the, this picture of all these weapons. Uh, they were very curious whether or not the hole punch was confiscated, too. And uh, they said that the the three hole punch can be a pretty dangerous weapon on its own. So what do you think is the most dangerous weapon on this table is what I'm asking you in this picture? Yeah, in this picture. Is it guns? Is it the knives? Yeah, I wanted to say the sword, but it's the gun. It's the gun. Good. I'm glad that we got to the right place. Um, Okay, I I do want to propose a alternate answer okay um, there there is is it the table no um the, there is there, some sort of electronic thing plugged into something towards the top <laughs> of the picture uh-huh what exactly is that it looks like a battery charger Th- throw that throw throw that in throw that in a pool full of people pretty Potentially pretty dangerous. Yeah, I I will say on on the Aiden, very Aiden, right Aiden, of, Aiden, yep. Aiden 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 David Aiden David. I challenge you to a duel. Okay, you have <laughs> the battery charger. I'm gonna take the gun. Okay. Do I do I get to I you you have chosen the weapon, so I get to choose the place. <laughs> that seems fair. Inside of a pool. <laughs> Man's got a point. <laughs> so uh, I do think that if you can see the very right top right corner of the the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you mean uh-huh. I, I think that that might be a typewriter. And they uh, they do say no, that the pen it, is mightier than the sword. That is definitely a second hole punch. You might be right. That is, I promise you, a second hole punch. I, I, I thought that, that was how many binders this man has to make. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> well, he has to have binders for all of his meth clients. Lowell spent his entire Monday working on that joke, and we didn't recognize it for even a second. I did not think about that that joke until I just looked at that corner, and I thought, that could be a typewriter, but I think it is a, a whole bunch. Will I decide to say that it's a typewriter for, the, for this bad joke? Yes, I will. That was my thought process. That was inside the mind of the artist. So one thing that I'd like to bring up is this is probably um, how one day we are going to find the Hanjo uh, Masamune. Which what? This is I'm sorry. This is how one day we're going to find the Hanjo Masamune. What is yes, that? I heard this. I heard the sounds you said, but I didn't. They didn't for me form a cogent idea of anything. I had no so, schema of this. I've posted a cracked article in the um, right below the link to this article in our show notes. Very good job. Very sneaky. Interesting. Ooh, wow. That is a gorgeous sword. Is that the actual sword? Probably not, because the actual sword disappeared from the historical record in January of 1946. And that looks like way too high quality an image to have been taken then. Yeah, that seems fair. So what happened to it? So um, it is a 13th or 14th century um, samurai sword that was stolen from uh, Japan in the aftermath of World War II. 
and is more than likely somewhere in the United States, though we have no uh, idea where. Yeah, uh, that would be pretty, pretty awesome if it was found in the car of some some meth meth dealers. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think that that's uh, that's the sword, the ancient sword of the meth king, which was seized recently by police. Fascinating. So uh, with that, I think that we're ready to wrap up the show. All, All right. right. So um, can I get David to uh, read us this final headline? All right. Here we go. Uh, so to send you all home and keep you thinking until next time, vote for Lunchbox, Oklahoma's beloved 23 pound cat, a finalist in Cadbury bunny tryouts. <laughs> Uh, so does that mean it's trying yeah. to be it? No, we can't discuss it's, it. It's no, we can't discuss the Cadbury it. Bunny. It's all right. We can't. We can't. I know. We can't. It's this is for next time. Of course. Well. Well, until then, I've been David. I've been Lowell. And I'm Aiden. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. Chevy Chase. Still?